X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Christine Alexander from Portland, Oregon. You can find me every Tuesday morning on X-Ray in the Morning, news, commentary, and interviews, 7 to 9 a.m. at xray.fm. It's Wednesday, March 17th. Today, back in the day, on March 17th, 1960, Au bout de souffle, or Breathless, as you may know it, the first film by Jean-Luc Godard opened in France. The film helped kick off a movement that would change the world of movies forever. It was called La Nouvelle Vague, the French New Wave. Characterized by experimentation and iconoclasm, especially in terms of editing and visual style, the films often took an existential tone by making use of irony and narrative ambiguity. Au bout de souffle, or breathless, stars Jean-Paul Belmondo as a criminal on the run and Gene Seberg as his ingenue love interest. At the time, Au bout de souffle was a surprise success, attracting over two million viewers upon its initial release. Breathless has been referenced and mimicked in countless other movies in the decades since, including a remake, an American remake, starring Richard Gere. I also recommend the Godard film Masculin Feminin for those of you interested in learning more about La Nouvelle Vague. Today, back in the day on March 17, 1976, Mills End Park was dedicated. Can't picture it in your head? Well, it's easy to miss. Mills End is the tiniest park in the world. Just two feet wide, this southwest park is home to a single adorable tree on NATO Parkway. Mills End Park was the creation of Dick Fagan, a columnist for the Oregon Journal in the 1940s. His office overlooked the street and, in particular, a small hole in the ground that was often filled with weeds and trash. Mills End Park uh, has two slightly different origin stories. Those who lack imagination will tell you that Dick Fagan simply planted some flowers in the hole and unveiled his tiny park to the world. But we here at X-Ray know the truth. The way Dick Fagan told it, one day at work, he glanced outside, only to spot what else but a leprechaun digging in the hole. So he ran outside and caught the little guy. According to Irish lore, if you catch a leprechaun, he has to grant you a wish. So Dick Fagan wished for his very own park, although he failed to mention just how big that park should be. The leprechaun, a notorious trickster, granted Fagan's wish by making a perfect pint-sized park. In his column, Fagan wrote about the resident family of leprechauns and their adventures in the park. And in 1976, Mills End became an official city park on what other day than St. Patrick's Day? We'll start with your quick six news headlines, and we have an interview with Alex Frayne from Eater PDX. X-Ray. First up, it's time for today's Quick Six Local Rundown. The Portland Police Association president resigned over leak investigations. Officer Brian Hunsaker resigned Tuesday amid investigations of what the union referred to as a, quote, serious isolated mistake, end quote. Commissioner Joanne Hardesty was mistakenly implicated in a hit-and-run investigation after she was misidentified on March 3rd by a 911 caller 
as the driver of the vehicle that hit her. Hardesty was quickly cleared, but in response to the allegations, Mayor Ted Wheeler launched his own investigation to determine the source of the information leak. PPA did not immediately specify Hunsecker's mistake, but did say that it was not malice-based. Hunsecker had been a regular presence at PPA union contract negotiations with the city, which sometimes put him in direct opposition with Hardesty. Hardesty sponsored a new independent police oversight board passed by voters last November. Officer Hunsecker will remain an employee of the Portland Police Bureau. The Bureau did not announce any disciplinary action for Officer Hunsecker, Mayor Wheeler, who is police commissioner, said Hunsaker's resignation raises new questions about the leak. In a statement Tuesday, Wheeler demanded Hunsaker explain to Hardesty and the people of Portland what mistake he made and why. And now it's time for your daily dose of data. On Tuesday, the Oregon Health Authority reported 267 new coronavirus cases. The state reported 22 new deaths. Since the pandemic began last March, there have been a total of 160,050 confirmed cases. There have been a total of 2,346 statewide deaths attributed to COVID-19. A new independent abortion clinic will open in Portland this week. The Lilith Clinic will be the first new independent abortion clinic to open in Portland in the past 20 years. The clinic will offer abortions up to the 22nd week of pregnancy. This is unique because most providers in the Portland area only offer services up to 20 weeks. Planned Parenthood offers abortions up to 18 weeks. This comes just weeks after the historic Lovejoy Surges Center closed its doors. Lovejoy also offered late-term abortions and was a relatively rare example of late-term abortion access, which is limited in many parts of the country. The Lilith Clinic will also train medical residents in abortion care. According to Grayson Dempsey, abortion rights advocate and a consultant with the clinic, quote, we can be as pro-choice as we want to be, but if there are no clinics to provide access, our policies and our laws are empty, end quote. The clinic will open this Friday, March 19th. There are three contenders for Diego Hernandez's former House seat. Former State Representative Diego Hernandez's resignation went into effect on Monday. He had announced his resignation before a scheduled House vote regarding his expulsion could take place. The House Committee on Conduct had concluded that Hernandez had committed 18 violations of legislative rules against sexual harassment and creating a hostile work environment. This came after sexual harassment allegations were made against Hernandez by multiple individuals during the past few months. Now the list of possible candidates who will take over his seat has been narrowed to three. They are Oregon ACLU Policy Director Andrea Valderrama, Oregon Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals President Adrian Enghaus, and former Portland City Council candidate Robin Castro. The Democrats' top pick is Andrea Valderrama. She has a history with former Representative Hernandez, and she filed a restraining order against him last year. In addition to her work with ACLU of Oregon, Valderrama is chair of the David Douglas School Board. 
She also ran for Portland City Council in 2018 for a seat that was won by Joanne Hardesty. Multnomah County commissioners will decide on one of these three candidates later this month. That person will represent District 47, East Portland. A Clark County judge is facing backlash for his comments about Kevin Peterson Jr. Clark County District Court and local lawyers are condemning comments made by Judge Darvin Zimmerman. Zimmerman was recorded saying that Kevin Peterson Jr. was, quote, so dumb and was, quote, the black guy they were trying to make an angel out of, end quote. Zimmerman also made comments doubting the legitimacy of a GoFundMe account that he said claimed Peterson had been unarmed. Kevin Peterson Jr. was a 21-year-old black man who was shot and killed by police in Hazeldale near Vancouver last October. His death sparked a community vigil and protests against police and racial violence. The Clark County District Court released a statement on Monday saying it has zero tolerance for racism. It also said that Zimmerman's statements do not reflect the court's values nor those of individual judges. A southwest Washington defense firm, Vancouver Defenders, called for Zimmerman's resignation this week. They issued a statement arguing, quote, Judge Zimmerman's conduct erodes the public's confidence in our judicial system. A judge's independence, integrity, and impartiality are paramount in making our system work, end quote. When Zimmerman was contacted by local newspaper The Columbian, he did not apologize for his comments. The Vancouver NAACP said in a Facebook post that Zimmerman's comments were not surprising, saying they reaffirm, quote, blatant and systematic racism is alive and prevalent in Clark County, end quote. And finally, some good news. Today is St. Patrick's Day, and despite the pandemic, there are still ways to celebrate in Portland. A number of bars and restaurants are open for business, serving traditional Irish meals and drinks for pickup, delivery, and outdoor seating and limited capacity indoor dining. Patty's Bar and Grill, downtown Portland's oldest Irish pub, will host a socially distant version of its annual St. Patrick's Day Festival. Festivities include live Irish music and bagpipers, corned beef and cabbage, Guinness beer, and Kilbegan Irish whiskey. Portion of the proceeds will be donated to the Children's Cancer Association. For those on the east side of the river, T.C. O'Leary's has had one week straight of Irish music and dancing leading up to tonight. Reservations are required but still available in limited capacity for this evening. Digital events happening today include the Oregon Irish Society's virtual St. Patrick's Day celebration, which will stream throughout the day on the organization's Facebook and YouTube pages. Entertainment will include a puppet show, as well as traditional Irish music and dance performances. The Shamrock Run Portland, our city's longest-running St. Patrick's Day run, will take place virtually this year. Participants will receive an official t-shirt and a tote bag. An online performance by renowned Irish fiddler Kevin Burke, which will stream live from the Alberta Rose Theater on the Portland Music Stream at 7 p.m. It's going to happen this evening. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray.
Now we will hear from Alex Frain from Eater Portland for our bi-weekly food scene update. Alex spoke with host Christine Alexander about vaccinations for restaurant workers and the reopening of Realem Inn. Here are Alex and Christine. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. I was looking at the website today, Eater PDX, and I saw the headline, the five Portland food events to hit this week. And I thought, oh, my God, we can go back. And, <laughs> and then I saw the, the subtitle, which is pandemic era pop ups and pre-ordered meals to catch this week. So it's not like um, going back to the big food festivals, but there are pop ups and pre-ordered meals that we can catch this week. Tell me about some of those. Yeah, it's fun. Um for many years, one of my first jobs in working at Eater Portland was to every Monday morning round up all the events of the week and into the following week. Um, and, you know, back in the the, the olden days, uh, prior to everything happening, uh, you know, you'd have at least a dozen or so events. We would actually have to pick and choose which ones we even feature because there'd be so many chef dinners and wine pairings in gardens and uh, food festivals, like you mentioned, and, um, you know, obviously really large ones like the Oregon Brewery Festival and Zwickelmania and Feast and all these really, really huge major events that drew people into the state and into the city. Mm-hmm. And all of that's pretty much disappeared. So it's been kind of a nice return to form a little bit to write uh, about some of these events. And some of them actually this week are starting to look familiar uh, to kind of earlier times. Uh, for instance, um, Chef Aaron Barnett, who is the chef at St. Jack, is hosting a dinner, and it's a uh, wine dinner. It's a prefix outdoor wine dinner. Oh. Um, and that just, you know, sort of has a semblance of normality to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple other events this week as well that are a little bit more um, what other things are looking like these days and that it's takeout, pickup sort of um, events. But even that still closer to what it was than it was a few months ago if that makes any sense that does make sense we're getting we're getting uh, we're getting there we're moving along we're we like we said earlier in the show today we, we can see a light at the tunnel now i think and uh, hearing about kids being able to go back to school soon um i think the the governor said she wants it to happen by spring break so um so tell me a couple of these events that i i need to hit uh, well, let's see. So there's the giant squid, which is what I just mentioned that Chef Aaron Garnett yes. and uh, Joel Gunderson, who's of Cooper's Hall, who's picking out all the wines to pair. Should be some really excellent ones there. Um, and if you're interested in that kind of uh, finer dining, uh, there's a restaurant called Bergerac, which is in southeast Portland. It's another French restaurant. And they're actually, um, prior to 2020, they would have pretty regular seasonal or themed uh, monthly dinners and they're actually bringing that back now and they've got a basked uh, a bask dinner Ooh. this week um, and unlike the other one this is one that you pick up and take home but it's still a multi-course Spanish dinner uh, kind of Spanish and French a bit um, also Kotchka um, the really well-known really celebrated Russian restaurants uh, they're celebrating what the Russians call butter week Ooh, um, that sounds fabulous. It's, so it's a <laughs> reference to the new spring and the sun. And um, what you do with this butterweek traditionally is eat blinis, which are these kind of buckwheat pancakes, and they sort of look like the sun a bit. They're a bit golden and round. And you eat those with all, all sorts of different toppings, like cultured butter and sour cream and caviar and pickled roe and things like that. Oh. Uh, 
basically pickled fish and and um, duck confit riette, chocolate butter. Oh, oh uh, chocolate and butter together. Yeah, oh. <laughs> and that's all in these buckwheat blinis. It's a celebration of the season. That's what Kachka is throwing together uh, for it. They've always done that. They've been doing that for years now. It's just going to look a little differently like everything else and that you're going to be taking it home rather than mm-hmm. dining in their uh, very splendid restaurant. In their space. restaurant. Well, I love the French Basque dinner. So the Basque region is the region between France and Spain there along the border. And the fact that the restaurant is named Bergerac means that I have, I've never been there. I have to go there because Cyrano de Bergerac is my favorite play of all time. Oh. So fantastic. love yes, that. The owner, um, well, one of the co-owners, it's the husband and wife who own it, it's actually from Bergerac. Oh. Much like Cyrano. Oh. Yeah, well, hence Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, mm-hmm. meaning from Bergerac. Okay. So uh, those are, and, and if our listeners are interested, they can go to your website and find out more information about all those. Um, That's correct. Um, while I've got you, I want to ask you about the vaccine rollout. You recently wrote about how restaurant workers fit into it. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I can tell you a little bit about that. Uh, Like with everything else that's happening right now with the vaccine rollout, things are obviously still a little uh, vague. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I, I don't say that in any sort of, you know, I'm not trying to condemn anyone else like that. But the state government is working extremely diligently to get this vaccines rolled out. Um, and we're starting to be more and more optimistic. I think this morning it was just announced that Oregon should have enough vaccines for all willing adults by April 21st, I think was the approximate date given. But the vaccine rollout for industry workers has been, um, I'll say, controversial hmm. um, because of the, there's this kind of perceived disconnect, something that I see as a disconnect, between this insistence that restaurant workers are essential workers, uh, such as, you know, just last month, I think it was, we, or maybe it was earlier this month, rather. Um, the dates get a little blurry. But indoor dining was once again opened up. People could dine at 25% capacity, capacity. indoor restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been shown again and again and again that that still provides a vector, that their states that have reopened for indoor dining have shown an escalation in a virus spread transmission so um and of course the people who are serving the food and the people who are making the food that are also part of the same kind of circulatory air system are at risk even when they're masked up and everything because diners are not able you know you can't wear a mask when you're eating and drinking you can wear a mask when you're ordering but even that gets a little tricky if the server comes and checks and you don't time to mask up right so we have this new system where we're allowing diners to uh, eat indoors and we're saying that you know restaurants should open up and workers should be working and yet we're not we there was never a prioritization uh for these restaurant workers that were expected and required financially to go back to work there was never prioritization for them to be inoculated for them to receive the vaccine Mm. so they were actually told that they were going to be going back to work indoors before they were told any date whatsoever. There was no date on the books at that point when they were told they should go back to work. And I think we talked about that last time a bit. Yeah, a little bit. So now we're looking at, I think it's May 1st for industry workers. They're joined by a number of other really important, you know, uh, prioritizations, um, other sort of industry workers that are outside of the food and drink industry that also need it. Um, 
And I think it's around the same time as grocery workers as well. I think all of that recently was set to May 1st. And I, I don't know if that timeline's been changed or not, but it's good to at least see a date, but it's mm-hmm. still considerably far off considering how upfront, you know, how frontline these workers actually are. Well, and you mentioned grocery workers. Those yep. are frontline workers. People yep. who work at markets and grocery stores, even the 7-Eleven, those are frontline workers because they have not stopped. They have no, been there for us. No, they not, didn't. Not once. And they've been there for us. They yeah. have been there. Those cashiers, those stalkers, those, uh, um, you know, uh, all those people who work at the groceries and the markets and the, you know, 7-Elevens and pa- plaid pantries, those people have been there for us when we all are, you know, self-quarantining for the last year. They've had to go to work every day so that Absolutely. we can get our food. So uh, I do think they deserve to be considered frontline workers as well. My guest is... 100%. Alex Frain, Eater PDX. Um, uh, lastly, I want to ask you about um, Reel Em In. This is good news <laughs> to the Portland community that it has reopened. Um, you know, I admit I have never heard of this Portland institution. Can you tell me about uh, Reel Em In and, and its reopening? Yeah, it's kind of funny because I uh, went to middle school and high school within about uh, five blocks from Reel Em In. I, I went to Hosford Middle School, which is about five blocks to its uh, northwest, I think, and then uh, Cleveland High School, which is about five blocks to itself. Uh-huh. Uh, so I kind of grew up knowing about Real Event without really knowing what it was. And then later on, when I was an adult and I returned to Portland, uh, I finally got to experience it. And what it is, is there's kind of two factors to this bar. Uh, one is that it, you know, there's a lot of waxing nostalgia for, uh, you know, quote unquote, old Portland, yeah. which I think is kind of a non-existent entity uh we can get into that you know, much later but uh when people talk about old portland what they kind of mean generally are places like real amen which is you know a fairly legitimate dive bar doesn't put on a whole lot of uh um bells and whistles to this place it's a tiny little bar with a pool table some video poker and then the other element of it is the fact that it also happens to serve some of the city's best fried chicken oh it has for years and years and years uh, it was kind of famously. It, it was. It, it was also famous for how long it it took you to get said fried chicken because it was all fried to order. <laughs> oh, and they only had you know one or two fryers. So if you go in there and there's a couple of you know, chicken quarters in front of you, you're going to be waiting like an hour and a half. But that's sort of point of the charm of it as well. If you get some stiff drinks, play some pool, and wait for your fried chicken. So uh, when that closed, um, it was a lot. That there was a lot of. It was never announced that it was closed permanently, but it it was in an indefinite hiatus, essentially. Um, And that was last year. That was last November, I want to say. Again, a few weeks ago, it announced that it was going to reopen uh, for basically only takeout and a little bit of outside dining. It's still not doing indoor dining. But Mm -hmm. there was just a lot of um, positivity around that. People really love that space. It's got, you know, the heart of the community there in Southeast Portland on Division and uh, just a really well-loved restaurant for its food and its sincerity and earnestness. Oh. And, I, you know, I think it was kind of what we were talking about earlier is it felt a little bit more like a return to normal when it was announced that it was going to reopen. But there was, as you said, a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So the must-order items from Real Amin are the fried chicken, if yes. you can wait. Um, yes. 
Are, are, and is, right now you actually order ahead of time for your pickup time. So oh. it's a little easier because that's just how their model works. You can actually stop by and pick it up, but you, you may or may not get it. But you can put in orders, I think, 24 hours in advance online. And then you can go and pick it up. Fantastic. See, these are things, these are some of the nice things that have come out of the pandemic. We're mm-hmm. learning how we can call in orders. We can pick them up by the curb, you know, <laughs> things like chicken that used to take an hour and a half. Well, you can order it in advance now. So that's great. Yep, absolutely. Um, lastly, just uh, just real quick, are there other bars and restaurants that are coming out of hibernation? Is this a sign? Um, yes. I'm trying to think of any specifics off the top of my head. Most of the places that are open have actually kind of remained open for a while. Um, we're still looking at places that are closing more often than we are at places that are uh, reopening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're going to at least start seeing... Oh, actually, you know what? Here's one. Uh, Bithouse. So Bithouse used to be Bithouse Saloon. It's now Bithouse Collective. It's right on the mouth of the Morrison Bridge on the east side. A uh, very popular bar that went through some changes uh, over the years, and then it was closed for a while, like a lot of other places were. And then just last weekend, I want to say, it officially re- reopened with a new team, uh, new outside dining, both on the patio and in the front, uh, right there on Grands, uh, and a really killer new team in the kitchen and behind the bar. Awesome. Another positive thing in the Portland food scene. Happy to hear it. Well, Alex, thank you for your update. Uh, Alex Frayne from Eater PDX, uh, a regular guest with us here on X-Ray in the Morning. Thanks for her joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks to Alex Frayne from Eater PDX for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. I'm Christine Alexander. Thank you for subscribing and give us a five-star review. Radio is mine and yours on X-Ray FM. X-Ray.